The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. All right, how's everyone doing? Good. Good? All right. If you've got Bibles, go ahead and grab those. We're going to be in the book of Mark. Let me, uh, first of all, welcome you. My name's Eric. I'm the lead teaching pastor here. And over the last few weeks, we've been going through uh, this book uh, of Mark and and I want to tell you, it's been super exciting for me. Uh, and so if you, if you want to grab any of those messages, you can go to uh, thelifepointconnection.com and go to the sermons page uh, and catch up. Today we're going to be uh, in Mark chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, there's going to be one under the seat uh, somewhere around you. Uh, I am so glad that you're here today. I hope that you're glad that you're here today. I want you to look at the person next to you or around you or in front of you, behind you, and say, hey, I'm really glad you're here today. Okay, that's not bad. That's not bad. Say, hey, I'm really excited you're here today. All right, pretty good. Okay, now I'm going to challenge you a little bit. I want you to tell the person next to you, it's not enough to be in the room. Hey, listen, it's not enough to be in the room. I, I think so many times people think, hey, I'm doing really, really good because I got myself up and I got to church this morning. Great job. Hey, I'm really excited you're here today, right? I'm really happy you're here. But, but let me just tell you, it's not enough to be in the room. Statistically, church attendance has dropped to 1.6 weeks per month. That's the average of the Christian. We go one, about one 1.3, 1.6 times per month. And we think if we're getting there twice a month, I mean, I think we're doing really, 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 really good. It's not enough to be in the room. My family, we're a really active family. Anyone love to be active? We're an active family. I grew up as an athlete. I, I married a, a fitness coach, right? My kids uh, play sports. My daughter runs track. My son plays basketball. And so we're, we're, we're active. We're outside. We're moving around all the time. It's hard for us to sit still for some reason. You could probably tell that about me, all right? But, but we're, we're very active. And so a while back, we, we joined a gym. We got a gym membership. Any, anybody have a gym membership? Okay, three of us. And uh, okay, uh, okay, we got these gym memberships, and, and we decided we wanted to use the full membership. And so we wanted to use the pool, and we wanted to use the gym, and we wanted to use the track, and we wanted to use the weights and the workout equipment and all that stuff. You know what I'm talking about. Okay, but my kids were at the age where at this gym there was a, there was a requirement that in order to use the weight room under a certain age, you had to take an orientation class. You know what I'm talking about. So they had to take them through this orientation class. So they signed up for it, and we paid extra for it, I guess. And, and so they got in, and they, they went through all the instructions. Okay, this is the, the weights, and this is how you use it, and these are the machines, and this is what it is, and this is how it works, and this is what you do. And so they went through the entire facility, and they began to learn, like, the warnings, and they began to learn the safety, and they began to learn the techniques and the rights and the wrongs and how to do all all the equipment. And at the end, they were masters. They knew how every piece worked. They learned all the material. Now, I want you to imagine that if you went through the class, and then from that moment forward, you just simply went to the gym and then watched everyone else work out. Just imagine that. Maybe you can't imagine. Okay, imagine this. Imagine you sign up for a membership, but then never use it. Can you relate? Okay. Now, now, now that's, everyone would say, hey, that's, not, that's not smart. That's not good stewardship. That's not, I mean, what do, you do? what do you do when you sign up for the membership and then you don't use it? I mean, that's crazy, right? Now, 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 let me just take it a step further. What's even more crazy is that you would sign up, that you would go to the gym, and then you would just watch. I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, you know how all of it works. You know, I mean, you dress the part, you dress in the outfit, you check in just like everybody else. You get your coffee, like, I mean, water bottle like everybody else, right? You get your towel and you get in there and you just simply watch everyone work out. Now, now why, would, why would you do that? 
Or, or imagine if you, if you checked in like everyone else, but you just kept taking the class over and over again, and you never actually started working out. It's not enough to be in the room. Everyone say that with me. Say, it's not enough to be in the room. It's, it's not enough to be in the room. And let me just take it a step further for you. It's not enough to be in the room where the Word of God is taught. Because it's possible to be in the room where the Word of God is proclaimed and yet not benefit from it at all. You can hear the Word of God preached. You can, you can come in week after week and, and, and listen, but then simply walk out unchanged. It's not enough to be in the room. You can even walk in the room and you can even have joy in what you're hearing. Wow, that was really great. I love that illustration. I love how you put it that way. Man, that was really powerful. And so you can begin to have joy and be in awe and actually affirm what you're hearing and have it ultimately make no difference in your life whatsoever. It's possible for the Word of God to just simply be a theological language or an education Right, like you know the right things to say and what not to do and what to do, and you, you dress a certain way and you act a certain way, and you, you learn the lingo, yet there's no ultimate transformation. Listen, today we see a very unique point in Mark's gospel because Mark's gospel is, is very, very uh, quick. It's very, very uh, uh, fast-paced narrative. It, it, the Gospel of Mark, it actually looks like, it reads like an action movie. Anyone like action movies out there? Right? So it blows up every two seconds. I love that, right? And so Mark is like, boom, 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 boom. Here it is. And, and so he begins to throw at us over and over again the life of Jesus, the work of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the work of Jesus. I mean, it's just nonstop. I mean, it's immediately this and immediately this and immediately this. and immediate, Like 42 times in the book, he uses the word immediately. It's nonstop, and then all of a sudden, we get to chapter 4, and Mark downshifts and wants to slow down for a moment. We get to chapter 4, and he says, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop this, this rapid fire at you, and I want to talk to you. So Mark ultimately is not really getting into the depths of the teaching of Jesus like Matthew or Luke. He's more about here's Jesus and here's what he does. But today, he gets into one of two lengthy um, teachings of Jesus throughout the entire book, which, which should tell us something about its importance. If you look in Mark chapter 4, verse 13, Jesus says, do you not understand this parable? Do you not understand what I'm teaching to you? How then will you understand all the parables? So Jesus, he, he speaks, he teaches very specifically at times. It's not always in parables. There's many times he speaks very specifically, but many times he does speak in parables. And he says, listen, listen, I need you to get this. Because this is the foundation. This is the, the baseline for every other parable that I'm going to talk to you about. You need to understand this one. Jesus says, I don't want you to simply be familiar with this. I want you to understand it. Everyone say understand. He says, this parable is the foundation. And, and he says, listen, it's not enough to just be in the room. You need to understand what I'm saying. It's not enough to just be in the room. The Bible says that the word of God is meant to function like a mirror. So that when we look into the word of God, we begin to see ourselves for who we actually are. And it's not enough to just simply be in the same room as a mirror if you're not going to look in it and use it. How many of you looked in the mirror before you left the house today? Okay, the majority. Unless you're like seven, you probably looked in the mirror. 
So why, why would you do that? Why would you look? You, you want to look in the mirror because you want to make sure everything's in place. And if there's anything out of place, I want to correct that, right? Hey, do I have anything in my teeth? Hey, do I have anything on my face? Hey, do, did I, is my hair in place? Does my outfit match? Do, did I miss a spot shaving, right? I shave now. That's good news. So you, you look in the mirror and you say, okay, okay, I want to make sure if there's anything out of place. Listen, it's not enough to just be in the same room as the mirror. You have to use it to examine. The, the word of God is given so that we can examine our hearts. And listen, our heart examination, listen to me, it's, you're not to examine your heart based on how you feel. You're not to examine your heart based on your emotions. You're not to examine your heart based on what culture or society tells you is right or wrong, good or bad. How are you doing? Right? I'll look at the world and be like, well, I'm not like that guy, so I guess I'm doing pretty good. Listen, we're not to examine our hearts based on anything other than looking into the Word of God. And let me tell you something. It's not just enough to be in the room where the Word of God is taught. This passage may be a very, very familiar passage to many of you. Why? Because you've been in the room a long time. We need to understand that the word today, God wants to use it to, to help us examine our hearts, to be used like a mirror so that we can begin to see where we need to line up. Okay, so like the first three chapters of Mark, we find Jesus in a very familiar situation. And that situation is where these crowds are like gathering on him, right? Like they're pressing into him. So much so that he has to actually step out into a boat to get some distance so that he could start talking to some people. Or else there's too many people all crowding around him. You, you with me on that? And so, and so we find Jesus in this, in, this, in this situation, but not only that, we see Jesus in a situation where there's all these different opinions and thoughts and responses to who Jesus is. And so if you remember last week, we looked over six different responses of who Jesus is. I mean, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, they want to kill him. Because Jesus keeps saying he's the son of God. He has the ability to forgive sin. He is one with God. And so all the scribes and all the Pharisees, they don't like that. They're thinking, man, this guy's not of God. He's possessed by a demon. He's not of God. We want to kill him. And so, and so that is a response. And then you see his own family at one point saying, man, this guy's crazy. In chapter 3, right, he, the crowds are gathering. Jesus goes out to them. Uh, he can't even eat a meal. And, the, and, the, and the, the family is saying, man, he's starting to believe that he really is the Son of God. This dude's delusional. What's happening? But then you have the whole other side of the spectrum where the disciples are saying, hey, we're going to leave everything to follow you. We believe you're Lord. We believe you're Messiah. We believe that you're the Savior of the world. And so some people say, oh, man, he's, he's possessed. Some say he's crazy. But these people say, man, I will follow you. But then you have the response of the crowds, don't you? And so all the crowds are coming to Jesus, not because he's the Son of God or not even because they believe he's the Savior, but rather because they believe that he's a healer and they want healing from whatever disease or sickness or ailment that they have. And so they just want Jesus to heal them. And they say, oh, man, this guy teaches with authority. He teaches with such power. He, he teaches unlike anyone I've ever seen. And so, listen, have you ever wondered why the same gospel can be preached to the multitudes. Yet some say, man, I hate that Jesus, while others say, I love him. Some would say, I, I wish Jesus was dead. And people say, oh, he's so alive. Man, I, I think what you're saying is crazy. No, what he's saying is truth. Have you ever wondered how the same good news, the same gospel, the same word of God can be preached to the masses, yet having all various different responses. Listen, the crowd is pressing on Christ, so he has to get into a boat. And, and all of a sudden in chapter 4, we see Mark put this teaching, and I think it's very strategic because I think in chapter 4, he wants to answer the question, why are there so many different responses? 
Why would some say this and others say this? How is it that the same gospel is preached, yet people respond in so many ways? And so, and so right now we're going to get into what's titled the parable, parable of the sower, but really I think it should be the parable of the soil. Everyone say soil. The soil is what takes center stage in Christ's teaching right here. Because the sower does what the sower does, and the seed does what the seed does, but what makes the difference is the condition of the soil. Read it with me in Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Again, Jesus began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat on it in the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen. Everyone say, listen. That is an exclamation mark. And it's followed by the word behold. So this is super important when Jesus says to all these crowds, probably tens of thousands of people, he says, listen. Behold. Listen to what he says. A sower went out to sow. And he sowed. And some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil. It immediately sprang up, but since it had no depths of soil, when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, say no root. Do you have a little bit of root? Shallow root? A a budding of root? It said no root. Since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell on good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. And then he says in verse 9, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. The end. Have you ever wondered, like, why would, why would Jesus do that to the crowd, right? Listen! And then he just, like, drops the mic. <laughs> Imagine thousands of people are gathered. And he starts into this teaching. He starts in with this, with this like, I just kind of hear it as, like, a, a jingle. There was a farmer, had some seed. And Jesus was his name, oh. Right? Scattered some seeds, scattered some seeds. Near seed, there's seed, everywhere seed. Like everywhere seed, seed. And then he says, and then, and then he says, he says, listen, some of the seed was taken away by birds. Some of the seed, it was scorched out by the sun. Uh, uh, some of the seed was choked out by weeds. Some produced a grain and then reproduce. And if you have ears, hear. That's it. Like, why you got to do the crowd like that, Jesus. Like, what in the world? Well, well listen, the, the, the disciples and some others asked the same question. Jesus, why, 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 are you, why are you talking like that? What is that? Why do you leave them on that cliffhanger, like, to be continued, right? And so in Matthew chapter 13, the disciples asked the same question. So the same parable is taught, but in Matthew chapter 13, it, it says this. It says, his disciples came and asked him. Why do you use parables when you talk to the people? He replied, you're permitted to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. Look at what it says. It says, to those who listen to my teaching, more understanding, say understanding, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. For those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. That is why I use these parables, for I look, but for they look, but don't really see. Because seeing, they don't see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parable. Let me pause right there. The 12 came to him, and those around him, so there was more than the 12, they were intrigued by what Jesus was saying. And so they come and they're like, hey, hey, what is, what is this all about? Look at what it says. They ask, it says, hey, hey, I want to know 
what you're talking about. In, in Mark chapter 4, he goes on and he explains how, how in the book of Isaiah, he said it would be like this. Verse 10, and when he was alone with those around him and with the 12, they asked him about the parable. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. For those outside, everything is in parables. So that they may indeed see but not perceive. They may indeed hear but not understand. Lest they should turn and be forgiven. There is a scene that goes beyond your eyes. Your pupils, your corneas, your retinas. Is that right, Stephen? He's an eye doctor. The Bible says that there's a scene that is beyond seeing. He, he says there's a hearing that goes beyond your eardrums. Jesus says there's a scene of the heart. There's a hearing of the heart, and the result of seeing with the heart, hearing with the heart, is that there is an understanding. He says, listen, it's not enough to be in the room. You can see and not see. You can hear and not hear. There's a, there's a scene, a spiritual scene, a spiritual hearing. When you have ears to hear, a heart that is ready to embrace the word of God, when the word of God falls on a fertile heart, there's understanding. With understanding, there's growth. And with growth, more will be given. So when you're just in the room, hear me. Listen, you have ears, hear. If you're just in the room, and you have a casual heart, a casual indifference, a casual attitude toward the word of God, or, or, or even worse, you're just simply apathetic or just don't care about the word of God at all. You say, you know what? I don't really care about the things of the Bible. I don't understand it whatsoever. It doesn't matter. Whatever. When you have a casual heart toward the good news, toward the word of God, and you just say, you know what, I just come because the coffee's good. I just come because my friends go. I just come because the music's entertaining. I just come because that's where my friends gather. And you know, I just come because my parents make me sit in the room. Jesus says for them, whatever understanding that you do have, it'll be taken away. And, and so my question for you this morning, I know it's a hard one. Are you growing in your knowledge? Are you growing in your understanding in the Word of God? Are, are you asking the Lord to give you ears to hear and eyes to see? Are you asking God for a fertile heart? Be because here's the deal either you're growing or you're diminishing. It's like it's not enough to just show up. It's not enough to just be in the room. Nobody's static. Nobody's static. Nobody will stay the same. And let me just be honest with you. I believe you have just as much of God's word as you want to have. You have as much as you want to have. Some of you are experts in so many things, but you know nothing of the Word of God. That's not the church's fault. If, if you don't care what God's Word has to say to you, if you don't care about hearing His voice, if you don't care what God wants to tell you, listen, eventually there's a diminishing. There's a taking away. There's a scorching. There's a choking out. I pray each and every day that that every week, every day you rise, that you wake up, you say, God, give me eyes to see, give me ears to hear, give me a heart so that I would know your word, that you might grow, that, that you might produce fruit and a, and a genuine relationship with God. And not just simply say, oh man, I like to be in the room, but you would say, my life is increasing because I'm walking with God, I'm knowing God, I'm hearing God's voice, I'm submitting to God's word, and I'm doing what God wants me to do, and I actually have become a sower of seed myself. That's what I pray. 
So I pray, does your heart respond to the word of God that way? How does your heart respond to the word of God? Look at verse 13. He said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? The sower sows the word. Verse 3 says, Jesus says, the sower sows, but verse 14 says, the sower sows the word. Now, I want you to notice something real quick, and I hope that it's an encouragement to you, is that the sower is given one task, and one is the task. The sow. Just sow. Just sow it. No, listen, notice, notice the sower's not really concerned with where it's going. Right? The sower wants to cover every, don't worry, we got a good cleaning crew. I mean, it's awesome. <laughs> he wants to cover every little bit of soil. He just wants to sow it. Just sow it. Jesus says that the sower went to do one thing, and that was to sow. Listen, so many people are, are so concerned about, oh, maybe I don't sow right. And we go to conferences, and we go to churches, and we go to trainings, and we're like, you know what? It, it, you got to do the wrist like this. <laughs> if you, no, no, no. And then some would say, no, no, no. You got to... Not like that. Not like, no, you gotta, you gotta get the over. You gotta get some arch on it, right? Use your legs, hips, right? You can tell I'm a basketball coach. Follow through. So many they're concerned, or or you're you're concerned with your technique, or you're concerned about the soil around you. Oh, you know what? They, you know, they're they're really hard. There's no way. So maybe I'll just. God bless you. And we think, we think that's, that's it. And, and so, so many times, let me just tell you, the power is not in the sower, it's in the seed. The power of the gospel that leads into salvation is the word of God. The power of God's salvation to all who would believe. It, the, the Bible says that the word of God, the gospel, it's living and it's active and it's sharp and it cuts through even the darkest, deepest soil. And you, so you just want to sow it. You just sow it. Listen, we are transformed by the living and breathing word of God. So sow. And so don't worry about the soil. Listen, if you're worried about soil, worry about your own soil. The sower goes to sow. Look at, look at it, verse 14. The sower sows the word. Verse 15. And these are the ones along the path. There's seed all over. These are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown to them. Now, here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying every time the word is taught, every time the gospel is proclaimed, what takes place next is spiritual warfare. Every time the word of God is proclaimed and preached, what comes next is a battle. And so let me ask you, how'd you come in this room? You woke up this morning, you say, I'm just going to go sit in the room. Well, what, is the, what is the mentality of your heart? It's possible for the word of God to just simply be a religious habit, but we need to be a war, uh, aware of the war that takes place when the word of God is proclaimed. Every time you're hit with the word of God, are you asking God, Lord, Lord, protect my heart, protect my mind. Let it not wander right or left. Let my eyes not shift from up or down. Let us shift and focus completely on you. How is the mentality of your heart? Do you realize that this is a spiritual battle? 
for your whole life to say, man, do I want to submit to the word of God or do I want to reject? Do I want to walk away? There's a spiritual battle, and Jesus says that's the first type of soil. Look in verse 16. i got to take a drink. It's a lot of sowing. These are the ones sown on the rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with what? I like that word. Immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root. Say no root. They receive it with joy, but they have no root in themselves, so they endure for a while, but then when tribulation or persecution arises on the count of the word, immediately they fall away. Let me clarify for you. The litmus test of your soil, the litmus test of your receptivity to the word is not a spontaneous moment of joy. Let us not be fooled. The litmus test for your true receiving the word is later outside of this room when life throat punches you. Anybody ever been throat punched by life? The litmus test of your receptivity and your soil of your heart and the word of God into your heart comes when trials come and persecutions of the gospel come and it drives you to a place in your life that goes beyond your strength. Are you with me? When it drives you to a place that goes beyond your wisdom, beyond your righteousness, and life just doesn't work the way that you think it should work, you will face trials. But God has chosen those trials to be tools of sanctification for you, to be tools of change and growth in your life. And listen, when those trials come, when those hard moments come, they will either confirm for you your belief and your steadfastness in the word, in the gospel, in Christ, or they will begin to lead you away with doubt frustration, and you'll turn from the word. You'll either grow deeper in Christ or you'll push him away and you'll have nothing to do with him. There is no neutrality. In those moments of pressure, the word of God, the presence of Jesus in your life will either be your courage. The word of God will be your hope. The word of God will be your comfort. The word of God will be your direction. The word of God will be your strength. And when your world gets rocked, if you have roots in the word of God, in the person and work and the relationship with Jesus Christ, you have a firm foundation in this word. What happens is when life hits you, you'll say, oh, I cling to the word. I love the world. Why? Because because I'm not directionless. I'm not hopeless. I'm not comfortless. The word is in my heart, and I find great love for the word. Thank you, God, for your word. That's what happens when you have roots. But if you don't, what happens when life hits you in the face is you'll begin to bring the word into your own courtroom of judgment, and you'll say, Uh, The word of God is just not that true. I'm going to figure my own way out. The word of God, you know, I don't want to, I'm actually rather lean on my own understanding. You know, instead of leaning on the word of God, I I, I don't want to follow him. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to chase what I want. I'm going to lean on my own wisdom. I'm going to lean on my own understanding. In all my ways, I'm going to acknowledge what culture, society, what my emotions say rather than the word of God. And I'll say, you know what? I don't really need God. I just need to be stronger. I need to be tougher. I need to be better. I need to do this. And so I'm going to walk away from God. I'm out of this whole thing. Have you ever witnessed someone who responds, comes to church, responds with joy, affirm what's being taught, and then all of a sudden, they're out? That they don't endure? You will have trials, but with no root. The trials will just push you away from Christ, but with a root, you'll lean on him. Trust him, you get deeper in him. If you've ever experienced someone who's come to church and responded maybe positively with great joy, I believe the scripture teaches and then, and then falls away. I believe the scripture teaches 
that they were ultimately never saved in the first place, that they really didn't have any root. And I get into it, but Hebrews 6 clarifies, and 1 John 2.19 tells us that, that there were some that went away from us. It says that they weren't really of us. If they were of us, they would have remained with us, but then since they're not of us, they're not of us. Meaning they, they, they learned the technique and they stood in the room for a long time, but the word never ultimately penetrated their heart. The litmus test is endurance. It's possible. Let me tell you this. It's possible biblically to respond to the presence of God and even be in awe of the work of God and not ultimately respond to God through Jesus Christ and the salvation for your soul. Many people who respond with joy and then just walk away, they're responding to the presence of the Lord. It's easy to come in here and say, wow, God is really moving. Wow, God is really at work. That, 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 that illustration, that thing, I mean, it touched my heart. I mean, I, I'm responding to the presence of the Lord, but I'm not ultimately responding to the word of God that brings about faith and repentance and salvation in Christ alone. Let us not make any mistake. Let us not confuse the the response to God's presence with a biblical response of God's grace through Jesus Christ, through faith, through repentance that brings about salvation. They are not the same thing. It's not enough to be in the room where God is. There's a difference between experiencing the things of God, even being all of God, and even giving credit to God. Demons do that. And there's a difference between being born again in Jesus Christ. No root, no salvation. The proof of salvation is enduring faith. 1 Corinthians 15 says, If you're in Christ you'll hold fast to the gospel. You know what that means? You'll hold fast. You'll endure to the end unless you believed in vain, which means your, your faith is meaningless. It means you didn't trust Christ. You trust something else. And let me just clarify for you in case you're confused right now. Holding fast does not save us. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. We are saved not by works so that no man can boast. Holding fast does not save us. Holding fast to Christ and his word is proof that we are saved. Okay, so some, Jesus says, are hard-hearted to the word the gospel and they're not saved. Others hear it, they're open to it, and they receive it with joy. Yet because there's no root of salvation, they have no fruit of salvation. And the proof of salvation is not foliage, it's fruit. Don't get mad at me, Jesus brought it up. It's possible for someone to hear the word, affirm the word, and the work of Jesus, and not turn to Jesus and be saved. Hear this, it's not enough to be in the room. And some of you may be sitting in the room for a very, very long time. No root, no fruit, no spiritual growth. Nothing spiritual or impactful has happened in your life in years. Don't be deceived. If you have ears, hear. Verse 18. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for, what's it say? Other things. What does that include? Other things. Other things besides what? Well, he says, other things. Enter in and choke out the word, and it proves to be unfruitful. Other things besides the word come and begin to take over your life. Other things besides your relationship with Jesus begin to take over your life. Other things besides you clinging and putting your roots down in the word of God, and Christ himself begins to choke out the word, therefore produce no fruit. 
See why I say the result is fruit. This is one who hears the gospel and says, I've never heard anything like that. That sounds really good. You know, I have a lot of things going in my life. I mean, I have some success. I have a family. I've got, I've got all these things in my life, but I don't have Jesus. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take Jesus and I'm going to add him and his word to the 10,000 other things I've got going on in my life. So Jesus and his word, I'll take, but I will not make it a priority in my life. And listen to me, what happens is it gets choked out. You with me on that? If Jesus and his word is not a priority, what happens is you have just enough Jesus to be miserable. Eric, why, why, would, you, why would you say that? Because what's happening is you're trying to live your life pleasing your flesh and your own desires while trying to please God at the same time. How's that working out? It doesn't work. Because you're saying, you know, I'll take a little bit of Jesus. I'll add him to the 10,000 things that I do, but I'll still do the things that I want to do, be the person I want to be, live the life that my flesh wants me to live, and I'll chase desires that I want and things that I want and relationships that I want with no real regard to God or his word or my relationship with Christ. And instead of dying to self and putting to death the desires of the flesh and be crucified with Christ and being born again and living a life following Jesus by faith, you're trying to serve two masters. And you're trying to please yourself and you're trying to please God. And Jesus says, you can't do it. It doesn't work out. You can't serve two masters. You'll either end up loving the one and hating the other. That's what happens. It will choke out. Jesus says, what good is it to gain the whole world, yet forfeit your own soul? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. One of the most significant things that goes on in your life is the battle for your heart, is the function of the heart, and the capacity to desire. We are not first people driven by instinct. We are driven by purpose. We are driven by what we desire. And there is a real war for your desire, and it takes place in your heart. It's very important for you to understand that. Marketing understands that. Commercials understand that. If we can get their desire and their focus and their aim and their purpose to think that this thing would finally satisfy you. Listen, there is a desire for your war that's going on in your heart. Listen, we have tongues to taste. I love good food. I may not look like it. I eat a lot of food. God's given me great taste buds. God's given us just, just feelings of laughter and excitement and pleasure and love. God gives those things. They're all from God. He gives us a desire for relationships. We're very communal people. And we've created that way by God and for God. Yet those emotions and those feelings and those taste buds and those, those pleasure pursuits must not be the place that I find my ultimate significance. It may not be the place where I look to the ultimate spiritual life. It's not where I look for identity and meaning, what I have or don't have, and I'm chasing some earthly desire. I don't run to those desires when my well-being is at risk and my comfort is at stake. That's where the other set of desires must rule my heart. And so my life must be ruled by a desire for God and knowing him and growing in him and growing in his word for my life. It's a desire that must trump my flesh. And there is a war in my flesh. There is a desire war that sits within me. There's a desire for God and a glory for God and his kingdom. And that's why I must have God, Christ Jesus, and his word at the center and the priority of my life. The way you receive the word will be conditioned by what you set your desires upon. Not enough to be in the room. Now it ends positively. Look in verse 20. But those that were sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word 
Accept it and bear fruit. There's that word again. He keeps bringing that up, bearing fruit. When you accept it, it gets roots. You bear fruit, not just a little bit of fruit, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. These are the people who come in asking God for ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to receive. People that come in hungry for God and say, God, I want a soft heart. I have a needy heart. I come in with humility and expectancy, and I want understanding. I don't want to just simply be in the room and hear and let it fall on deaf ears. I want to respond not just with joy but with roots. I want your word to penetrate my life. I need grace as much today as I did from when I first believed. If we would be a people that would be hungry for the word, I want to hear your voice. I want you to move me. I want that mirror in front of me to point out to me where I need to grow, where I want you, where I need you. The realization that although this is not the first time I've heard this parable, this word, I need it. We come in with hunger and humility and we drink in every piece of God's word until it takes root and bears fruit in my life, even through my life to others. I I have to ask you now, what heart do you bring in hearing God's word? When you rise in the morning, when you lie down at night, are you thinking, drinking in God's word? Have Have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord? Or is he just one of many things that bring you comfort? Is he rooted in your heart? Have you received Jesus, the one who lived the perfect life before God that we could never live? The one who died the death for sin that you and I deserve to die. Have you received him? Has he put roots in your heart? You rooted and grounded in Christ because of his great love for you and his great grace towards you that he's speaking to your heart this morning saying, hey, listen, listen. Not enough to just be in the room. Crowds and crowds of people are gathered. How will you respond? Hard heart, shallow heart, weed-filled heart? Your heart ready to receive Jesus today? When you hear with your heart who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, you hear the word of truth and it it begins to compel you. And what happens is is that all these other priorities, all these other pursuits in life just become backseat Because I realize I'm no longer my own. I've been bought with love. I've been bought with a price. And now my eyes are open to see. My ears are open to hear. My desires are shifting. My desires are changing. I've been given a new life, an eternal life with Jesus Christ. And now, because of faith, I want to be rooted in him. I want to be driven by him. I want to follow Jesus. I want to hear his word. And I want to bear fruit 30, 60, 100 times over. I want to sow so much seed of the love of God that when others hear it, I don't care what kind of soil it is, it's powerful and it'll transform because I don't just simply want to come in and just listen with my ears I want to come in and be changed I want to be made new I want to I want to be transformed by the glory of God so that I would see him he who has ears let him hear it's not enough to just be in the room the band comes I want to explain to you there's four types of people And there's four hearts that hear the words of Jesus. But only one type is saved. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. It says, examine yourself. I'm not asking you to look around and judge the person to your right or your left. I'm not asking you where you think they are. I'm asking you this morning, right now, examine your heart. Examine your heart to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Use this as a mirror. If you have ears here, 
Do you not realize this about yourself? Is Jesus Christ in you? Is it just something that you do on a Sunday, or is he in you unless you fail to meet the test? 1 Corinthians 11, Paul writes to the church, because what I received to the Lord I pass on to you. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he gathered with his disciples and he took the bread. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat and do it in remembrance of me. You see, in all the ways that we fail, Jesus is fulfilled. Jesus' body was torn for all the ways that we deserve to be torn. And he took the cup and he said this, this is my blood, which was poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink and do it in remembrance of me. This is the new covenant. This is the, this is the shed blood of the lamb once and for all that takes away the sins of the world. And so for all the ways that we've discredited God or we've, we've put him on the back seat or the back burner, we've just added him to the many things, listen, his blood covers sin. His love covers a multitude of sin. So today I would encourage you, examine your heart. Where do you need to turn back to God? Where do you need to repent? Where do you need to put your faith in Jesus more? What other worldly things are you trusting other than the word and other than Christ for you? Today, turn back to God. Remember his body and his blood that was broken so that you and I can truly come to the table and bear much fruit. Let's pray. Lord, your teaching is not easy to receive, but your grace, your grace makes it open to accept. Here we are, Lord, imperfect, broken, scarred, and bruised inadequate in every way. Here we are as your church looking to you, the perfect one, the one who softens hearts and opens eyes and unplugs ears. We're coming to you trusting your grace and your body and your blood. We're coming this morning with humble hearts and repentance, a turning away from the things of this world and fixing our eyes on things that are eternal. Today, God, help us trust you for the salvation of our souls. Keep us this day. Let us hold fast to your word. Keep us from wondering and root us deep in our walk with you and your word. Today we come humbly before your throne, accepting you, Jesus, for who you are. In your name we pray. Amen.